Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the preservation of it. And thank you for the celebration today, both of the Reformation and of communion. I thank you for the call that Paul laid on Timothy's life and the call that he's laying on our life. And I ask God for that hard word to reach our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you to uh, make sure you have your worship guide and because uh, we have some questions inside here. So if you didn't get a worship guide when you came in, you met one of our wonderful greeters, then just put your hand up and our elders will make sure you have a worship guide. And because our very first question is uh, how we open the sermon, the message today. Um, so just put your hand up and we'll make sure you get that. What has held you back from great community? That's question number one. What has held you back from great community? I just came back from the One Project in Atlanta uh, last weekend uh, with a whole group of other people from Boulder Church as well. And, uh, and I met uh, this lady who told me that she had visited our church two years ago, all right? Uh, she was very, very worried about the One Project, and she had heard strange rumors about it. Weird, I know, right? Because you know, it's about Jesus, and so it's really weird that people hear these strange rumors about the One Project since it's about celebrating Jesus. Uh, she, it's like she had just read what Kevin had just read to us uh, in Second Timothy uh, about people being boastful and proud and unholy and I said, it's definitely not the One Project. So she came to the church here because she said she wanted to go visit the head office, the headquarters of the One Project. As she approached the church, she was met by two elderly ladies, and she approached them and she said to them, is this the church, the church where the One Project's headquarters is? And they said, yes, this is the church, welcome. Well, uh, as she said this, an elder of the church overheard her request. And he quickly interjected himself into the question. He said to her, I am an elder of the church, and I heard that you have some questions about the One Project. May I help you? Because I am an authority in this church, and I can answer all your questions about the One Project. She said, that'd be great. He stopped her from entering the church and took her outside the building to some grassy area far away from the church. He began to explain to her all the things that were wrong with the church and all the things that were bad about the One Project and all the evils of the church. I mean, this stuff, you can't make this stuff up. It's like we're watching Netflix and House of Cards. It's pretty fantastic. So she said to me, I was like, and he told me all the horrors of the church and everything that was bad in the church and how the pastors are evil and da-da-da-da-da. And she's like, this elder, I mean, it's just going on and on about this stuff. I was like, oh, oh, that's nice. Then she said she eventually was able to separate herself from this elder and said, I actually want to go to the church. So uh, she came into the church herself, and she went to one of the uh, connect groups, and she met a person called Jackie. And I said to her, would that be Jackie Hayes? And she said, Jackie Hayes, yes, that's, that's the person. And I, and I said to her, you know, Jackie Hayes is an elder. And she said, oh, I, I didn't know that, because uh, Jackie Hayes didn't explain that she also is an authority in this church and has uh, clout and uh, position of power and all sorts of things like that. But no, Jackie was a person that she met in one of the Connect Group's uh, contemporary issues. So she went downstairs 
to one of the classes, uh, connect groups downstairs, contemporary issues, and met Jackie Hayes and this entire class and had a blast. She said, oh, I met so many people down there. They were really lovely. Jackie actually invited me to lunch. I had a brilliant Sabbath. I had a great time at the church. So two years later, she said, I actually went to the one project myself in Atlanta. And I, at the end of the gathering, she came and told me the story, how much fun she had, how in, inspired she was about Jesus, and what a great time she had meeting some of the people at Boulder Church. I told her, the church has changed a lot in two years. It's a much safer place, um, a lot more welcoming. It's a place full of grace and mercy, and we've come a long way. Life is just too short to waste over silly rumors and avoid friendships, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I flew back uh, on, from Atlanta on Monday and I uh, was scrolling on my phone uh, through the United app for various movies to watch on my flight back and, and I came across this Bernie Madoff movie called The Wizard of Lies. Um, I don't know if you've watched this movie or whether you remember the Bernie Madoff story from 2008. If you haven't, just cover your ears because I don't want to spoil anything for you. Apparently something happened. Uh, Bernie Madoff uh, worked with the Ponzi scheme in 2008 and stole $65 billion over several decades. He was eventually sentenced to 150 years in prison and fined $17.7 billion. Well, the movie goes through this entire story and uh, tells you about the tens of thousands of lives that he's ruined and, and the repercussions through society and the millions and millions and millions of dollars that actually has caused tremendous difficulty for tens of thousands of people. But it also focuses on his two sons, Andy, the older one, and Mark, the younger one. Andy was to die of cancer in 2014, and Mark was to take his own life uh, two years later, um, two years earlier in 2010, uh, two years after this actual case went to court. He was to commit suicide, and the movie actually portrays this horrible moment where the father-in-law reads the note, the suicide note, so that Bernie Madoff can hear this in prison, uh, what he actually said, and it's, it's a horrible, horrible note, and it just, it just like turns you as you're watching this entire movie inside here, to leave his, his wife and his children to spite his father, so that he can actually leave his family alone. It's just a tragedy all around. And I have seen families broken apart by anger and unresolved issues all the time. Parents who don't talk to kids anymore, kids who don't talk to parents anymore, siblings who don't no longer connect with anybody, cousins who don't actually hang out with any family in any meeting space, marriages that are in disarray, colleagues at work who try to avoid each other, and neighbors who you hope your neighbors will move away to some of the country. I mean, we just have these tensions. Thanksgiving is next month, and they estimate that they're going to sacrifice 46 million turkeys will be sacrificed, right? 46 million turkeys will be sacrificed at tables of families and friends flying all over the world. And how many millions of families are gonna have unresolved issues? with their loved ones, while we're carving up that turkey or that tofu. Well, the tofu is very good, you know. 
kind of tastes like something. Well, we're carving that tofu up, and you're thinking about it. How many of you have unresolved issues with your loved ones? And they can be silly, they can be kind of petty little things, and they can be serious, deep things. Ten days ago, uh, Alyssa Milano uh, asked people uh, on her Twitter account whether they had been, if they had been sexually harassed, right? If they could reply to her tweet uh, and, and just literally just hashtag me too, hashtag me too. Within 24 hours, half a million people hashtagged inside their me too. Half a million people. It's gone up like millions beyond that by now. I was surprised when I was scrolling through Facebook, watching this phenomenon just take off in Facebook, how many people I knew Students that I knew at Andrews University a few years ago who were writing incredible stories of their journeys, saying, me too, of their sexual harassment that took place in their lives. These are things that have not been resolved, stories that have not been resolved. Which brings us to our recalibrate question number two. What do you do with all that unresolved pain, right? What do you do with all that unresolved pain? What do you do with all that unresolved hurt? How do you even let go of those who hurt you? Because what if you, you don't have a way to connect with them? We come here to celebrate communion, right? And we are. We're supposed to make peace with people that we're upset with. And if you haven't made peace with people that you, you are upset with or people that have hurt you, you need to be praying to God right now saying, God, forgive me if I've offended people. I mean, making peace with God is so important before you participate in communion, absolutely. But making peace with people who you actually have no way to connect with is, even important, is really important as well. We can barely cope with the silly little things, let alone the heavy things in our life. We don't stop sometimes for some of the big things, but the minor ones as well. But what, what if we died today and we left some of those unresolved issues inside there? Would we be satisfied with that? On my uh, mother's side of the family, um, they operate as a clan. Um, uh, you heard one family member, everyone's offended. It sounds like the mafia, I know, but uh, they don't have a cat, uh, and so I don't think it really qualifies. Uh, there is a lot of velvet, though, uh, in the family, um, and I think, especially in the 1970s, there was a lot of velvet. Uh, I just want to, as a side note, I do remember the 1970s that I may have gone to a McDonald's birthday party wearing an entire velvet suit, uh, and so there are, there are moments where velvet was taken a little bit, and my therapist said I should let it go, so I've, I've let it go. Here's one thing. I, I had a different opinion uh, with one of my uncles, just a, a difference of opinion with one of my uncles a while back. And so several of my other uncles got very upset because uh, naturally we are a clan. <laughs> and I think along this subject, somewhere along there, the, the one project rumor mill uh, got onto the middle of this conversation. And that's probably the reason why they unfriended me on Facebook. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I had one of my uncles was posting slanderous comments about me and, and the One Project and the evils of the One Project on various we websites. So here's just a side note um, to kind of frame this well so that I explain this well to you. People have unfriended me on Facebook, shock horror. Uh, and I only know this because sometimes they will send me a friend request. At that point, I think to myself, hang on a second, I, 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 thought, I thought we were friends. Uh, this, must be a, this must be an imposter. This must be a spam moment, right? Somebody has hacked their account 
because now they're sending me a friend request. I should contact them to tell them that their account, what, uh, we're no longer friends. What, we became, we were no longer friends? When did they unfriend me? <gasps> so then at this point, I'm suddenly realizing that they have actually unfriended me at some point. At some point, I have done something. I maybe wore a t-shirt that they were offended about, and they unfriended me. Now, for whatever reason, when they send that friend request through, what I do is I simply click ignore. I know it's petty. I know it's petty. But in my mind, I think this is a privilege to be a friend on Facebook, right? You've not spoken to me or to my family, all right? <laughs> so why am I going to accept this friend request back? So when one of my uncles sent me a friend request back, I really wanted to accept the friend request, but I, but I just ignored it. Now, for the record, uh, I did not click ignore. I, j I just left it lingering there. I just, I just left it lingering there in, in the Facebook world. Now, time goes by, and I hear about this uncle. And I hear about how this uncle has taken my grandmother in. And he's, my grandmother's in her 90s, and he's looking after my grandmother. He takes my grandmother out in the wheelchair every day and makes sure that she's in the sunshine. In England, that's like once a year. I mean, he's, he's like, you know, he's making sure that she's on video, and she's, they're sending me videos. And I get to see the love that he's doing to take care of my grandmother, and I love my grandmother. So I'm kind of like, ah, oh, my heart's kind of starting to melt. You know, I'm just like, oh, I miss my uncle. I miss my grandmother. This is all good. And so then I'm kind of thinking, oh, life is too short. So I go to Facebook. I'm like, accept friend. <laughs> it's good, right? Because I love family. And I do. Because life is too short to waste on silly rumors and avoid friendships, right? Yeah, absolutely. What's the point of living a life of resentment? But we do. We do. We have too many people in our lives that we're kind of angry about and we don't address this. What if we die today? Why is life full of pain and horrible things and often we just don't talk about it and we don't reconcile it and we don't resolve it? We come to church and we don't talk about the stuff. Martin Luther loved the Catholic Church. He did, he loved his church. He never wanted to start another church, all right? He read the Bible. He picked it up, he read the Bible, and he could not reconcile the Word of God with the practice of his church. This is an important lesson, important for you, important for me. If you read the Bible and you cannot reconcile the Bible with the practice of your church, you need to sort something out. God was in charge of justice. So why, as was so said so smartly by Jonathan as he was describing in Kids Life today, why were we paying so much money to the church to be saved? Why was this system of indulgences so rampant around the world? It was said, it was said, there was a priest who said this. He said, man, you could rape Virgin Mary and I could get you to heaven if you pay enough money. All right? That's how the indulgences were running at that time. It was so vulgar. Martin Luther said, this is just horrible. I, I, just, I just cannot understand. We don't even have to confess our sins and we would get to heaven. We just have to pay the right amount of money. He said, it doesn't make any sense. Salvation is a free gift from God. Jesus died on the cross to make this possible. So he asked to talk. That's what he did. He said, let's talk. That's the way they did it back in the old days. 
a novel idea. They said, let's talk. I know it's crazy. I know because today we don't do that when we're reconciling. Uh, we send carrier pigeons. Um, and since we don't have any, we never connect. See how this works, right? So this is the problem. You disagree with someone, instead of posting hatred, instead of sending anonymous emails, instead of ignoring them, instead of slandering their names, instead of being passive aggressive, invite them to talk. You got an issue with someone, invite them to talk. Don't drink coffee, invite them for decaf. Invite them to talk, all right? It was over two years later, after they excommunicated him, they really spoke. He had forced their hand, and they were not really open to the conversation. But when he touched on the uh, raw nerve, the raw nerve of the church, the raw nerve of the church, the finances, and the finances that affected the power and control, and that was a different matter. Now, the church knew, the church knew that they could not kill him. Uh, if they killed him, uh, this would cause a revolt. So they decided to engage in the conversation. They were kind of forced with this. And a diet was a meeting. They called a diet. Uh, a diet, uh, which is much better if you just call a diet. I could call diets all the time. Much better. A diet was a meeting of officers, sacred and secular, right? So they called a diet a conversation together, like a business meeting. It took place in the cathedral city of uh, Worms in 1521. Luther arrived, all right, and he said, look, I'm not going to retract anything. That's why they called the meeting. They called the meeting and say, I need you to change your mind. I need you to retract all your words. said, I'm not going to retract anything of these 95 theses unless the church could show him that what he said is wrong in the Bible. You can show me what's wrong in the Bible. I will retract what I said here. But you need to talk to me. Show me what it says in the Word of God. It reminds me of a church that I once pastored years ago where a certain group of women, they used to come to church and uh, they, would, uh, they would wear doilies on their head. Um, and so they wanted me to encourage all the women to wear doilies as they entered the sanctuary. All the women had to wear doilies as they entered the sanctuary, which was very, very weird, because uh, you know, doily is like a piece of cloth about this big, um, crocheted, very pretty, very pretty. Um, and I was like, uh, no, that's weird. Um, you know, can you imagine you come to church for the very first time, a female, and you come to church, and you, you know, and they're like, well, welcome, here is a doily. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, take that hat off, now, I know your hairdo, but no, doily. <laughs> and now, welcome in the sanctuary. So, I was preaching one sermon, and uh, the text led to doily reference. And uh, so, I ended up explaining how doilies no go. And so they called, they did not, they did not request a meeting, they did not request a Bible study, nor a church board, nor a business meeting. They pulled me into the vestry uh, with handcuffs, um, and, uh, and then they said by Monday I was guaranteed to be fired. They were going to arrange for me to be fired by Monday. And I was like, whoa, this is pretty serious. Two years later, we became really good friends and no doilies. Um, so it was really, really good. It was just an understanding. You had to go back to the Bible. I said, you misunderstood what the Apostle Paul was saying. Context is very important. Cultural understanding. You've got to read the Bible to understand it. I understand uh, Martin Luther's passion to be faithful to the Bible 
And his famous statement, I'm going to read this to you. This is a beautiful statement. It's a statement that you'll see on the screens here as well, but it's a fantastic statement as he stood there in this diet of worms as he spoke there. He said this, Since then, your serene majesties and your lordships seek a simple answer. I will give it in this manner, plain and unvarnished, unless I'm convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or clear reason. For I do not trust in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they often err and contradict themselves. I am bound to the scriptures. I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. And I cannot and will not retract anything. Isn't that beautiful? This is the way we should live our lives when it comes to understanding what the word of God is. The problem is, my friends, Martin Luther lived by this idea of sola scriptura. He tried very hard to live by sola scriptura, which is a beautiful phrase that says the Bible and the Bible alone is where we live. But many of us, many of us pretend to be sola scriptura, but we're more sola. Not solar panels, just solar, just ourselves. I have an opinion. My opinion is more important than your opinion. And you, my friend, are wrong. And then we spend all of our lives explaining why everybody's wrong, but we don't spend any time studying this. We don't have any scriptural support for our opinions. We just have these drawn conclusions that are just, I don't know, just out of the air. And they're very big and powerful conclusions, but they're not inside scripture. And we don't know how to connect with people. But I tell you this, that if you spent time, as I shared with you during the daily walk this week, there are some deep challenges if you were to embrace the Bible. Question number three. Question number three, the recalibrate question in your guide as well. What if, what if we try to embrace all of the Bible? Oh my goodness, what if we try to embrace all of the Bible? Not just the Second Testament, not just the First Testament, the whole Bible. Luther, Martin Luther himself, he struggled with the book of Revelation and certain other books in the Bible. He said, well, you know, I like the Bible, sola scriptura, well, eh, sola script maybe. I mean, he didn't really like all of the books in the Bible. I mean, but some of them he did really like. But what if we embraced all of the Bible? It's in part the reason why 300 years later we were birthed. Our tribe, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a group of young men and women said, are we really, really faithful to the Word of God? Are we following the Word of God? And Methodists and Baptists and a whole group of people came together and started to study the Word of God again and said, come on, let's, let's get back into this book again. Let's see if it's really true. It's a great question, but you should be asking yourself over and over and over again. One that we should do all the time. So we did. Seventh day, Sabbath, we said, this doesn't belong to the Jewish people. This belongs in the Bible. It started before the Jewish people existed. This belongs to creation. This belongs at the beginning. God created it as a cycle for us to enjoy. Adventist, where did that come from? It's the idea of the advent, the second advent, the second coming, that Christ is going to return. Let's celebrate that Jesus will return. And until that day, we should live a good life on this planet here. And we should live a life with less regret, a life of reconciliation. Perhaps this reformation that Luther was seeking for the church is something that we should be seeking for our lives. Well, the Apostle Paul had lost a lot of friends because of the reformation that took place in his life. 
on the road to Damascus experience that we'll talk about next year as we hit the book of Acts. Can you imagine how he lost his close community? He lost his alumni from college. He lost his doctors, his financial advisors, his local grocers, his uncles. They, he lost all of these people. He lost enough friends by his reformation of his life. They would have disowned him. They would have shunned him. Even his local community, the followers of Jesus, they questioned him. They said, well, you're not one of the original 12, are you, Paul? He referred to them, well, you know, I know I'm not one of the super apostles, <laughs> uh, but he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. He says, I will not quit. I have joined because I follow Jesus Christ and I will be faithful to Jesus Christ. And I look back on my life with this incredible zeal and passion because I will not give up. And that's why he read, we read inside the book of Timothy. And I want you to turn there, page 1099, page 1099, 2 Timothy chapter 4. So Kevin had read for our 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 17. We're going to go to the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 68. In, if you turn in your Bibles to page 1099 in Bible, but it's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. These are just beautiful verses here where Paul explaining to the young man Timothy how he understands his journey, his faithfulness, as it's been, has it been worth it all. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. It says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. He's like, it has been a good race. It has been a good fight. This has been my journey, and it has been worth every single bit, and I would never give it up. And then he tells them, as he tells them at the beginning of this chapter in 2 chapter, uh, Timothy chapter 4, he says, uh, this reference at the very beginning there, he says, these last days that Kevin had mentioned to us in the scripture, these last days in the Greek, eschatos, it's the only time in the pastoral letters that this word comes up. The only time that this is ref referred to. It basically means the very end of the times. The very end in the future. He says, Timothy, there's going to be the last days, you young man. Just listen to this. I need you to understand something. While you remember what Jesus said, while you understand what Jesus said, and remember this in John chapter 12, 30, 31, that he saw that Satan was going to be judged. While you know that Satan had the planet, he took it from Adam and Eve. Don't worry. While you remember that Jesus has ascended to heaven, while you remember that he grabbed hold of the scroll, while you remember that the lamb is the only one who could open that scroll, while you know that Satan no longer has control over access to heaven, he has something that he wants to say. So understand this, my friend. Paul says, understand this, my friend. I have something to share. Understand that they will be lovers of themselves than lovers of God. That's what will happen. They will be lovers of themselves than lovers of God. And he lists off all these things that they will do. Fight strong, stay faithful, but they will be lovers of themselves than lovers of God. And Satan knows that he has a short time and has a dragon 
roaring around. He has his last fling. He's going to assert himself by whatever means possible to make us lovers of ourselves instead of lovers of God. So Paul says, let me share, Timothy, a word of advice. Stay faithful to the word of God. Stay faithful to the word of God. No matter how far you go, stay faithful to the word of God. When you preach, when you teach, when you speak, stay faithful to the word of God. You, Boulder Church, us, Boulder Church, stay faithful to the word of God. When you preach, when you teach, when you speak, stay faithful to the word of God. Because there is power in the word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. That is what it comes down to. And by the Word alone, this world came into existence, and the Word has the power to change your life. That's it. We like change. Some of us, like myself, I like change quickly. Some people like change slowly. We like change at different paces. When it comes to faith development, and we're going to start this next week with the whole new series, when it comes to faith development, it changes at different paces in our life. And everybody has a different rate that they do this at. And I think that I am a very patient person when it comes to other people's faith development. Right? At least I am with everyone else except with Becky. So I've got to confess this. Um, if you want to see Becky and I fight, uh, which is not pretty, because uh, she loses. No, <laughs> I, I only say that because I lose. Uh, bring up theology between Becky and I. Then we fight. I, don't, I just don't know why, but anybody can bring to me any concept, any hypothesis, any question, any idea, when it comes to any theological idea, and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Let's talk about that. Let's explore that idea. Where did that come from? If Becky brings it, I'm like, panic button. Are you lost, girl? Where did that idea come from? Get behind me, Satan. And it's like, it's epic fail. Epic fail. I have said to myself, oh no, she's brought up God again. <laughs> I must, I must be patient. I'm literally thinking this in my head. And as a man, I'm doing this very well, like quick, right? And she's saying a great idea, which has mileage to it. And then I'm just like, panic button. I'm like, and she's like, seriously, I, it's just an idea. I was saying the same thing you said 30 seconds ago. Why, why are you reacting so strongly against this? I'm like, I didn't do anything. She said, you're doing that face again. I said, what face? I have no face, this is a happy face. I'm not scared that you're lost. I feel fine, my marriage is safe. I mean, it's just kind of like panic, right? So I, it's just difficult. But Jesus, oh, he is full of patience with us. And the thing is this, there is no complete story in the entire Bible about how people grow in their faith. Because if there were a complete story in the Bible, we would try to copy it 
and we would lose all the creativity and all the joy of being a follower of God, which is to discover what that's like. So instead, he gives us lots of snapshots of what it's like, a snapshot here, a snapshot there, and we kind of piece them all together, and we would try to work it all out. That's what the freedom looks like. Instead, the Bible's full of these snapshots, varying times, contrasting tensions. And Paul says to Timothy, follow my example, Timothy, follow my example. And you're like, what, what example? Well, there's snapshots, but surely there's more. And Paul says, well, follow me as best as you can, but focus on what the Word of God says. Simply be ready in season and out of season. And avoid, by the way, Timothy, avoid pleasing people and appeasing them. Confront them with the reality. Confront them with the reality. And this is so true. Jesus says this the same thing. He said, look, when you've lost uh, one sheep, you have 99, you lost one sheep. Travel every valley, climb every mountain. Sounds like the sound of music, doesn't it? Like, climb every, I mean, that kind of stuff. Obviously, she had a much higher voice uh, when she was singing that. It says, climb every hill, climb every valley, search everywhere to go find that one sheep. Do whatever it is. Confront them with the truth. Great, done. I will confront everybody from now on. Full on. Every time you see me, it's going to be like, I'm going to pin you against the wall and confront you with truth straight on. And then he says, wait a second, he says, Jesus said, if you go in a town and uh, they don't like what you're saying, just uh, shake the dust off your sandals and uh, walk away. What? So let me get this right. Times, sometimes he says, shake the dust off your feet. And then other times he says, leave the 99 and search endlessly for the one that's lost. So which is it, Jesus? schizophrenic Jesus? Uh, I'm not quite sure. I thought you said, pin him against the wall, punch him in the face with truth. But you told them that if they don't want it, you should shake the dust off and walk away? No. Which is it, Jesus? Both? How am I supposed to know whether I'm supposed to walk away and give them space, or whether I'm supposed to pin them against the wall? I kind of think pinning them against the wall is kind of fun. That should be my MO. Pin them against the wall, weapon of boulder. Pin them against the wall. This is the difficulty. Jesus says, I need you to do both. And he is going to do the both to us all the time. Jesus is going to tug you at your heart. And he's going to pull at your heart. And he's going to confront you at times. And other times, he's going to be incredibly patient with you. Incredibly gentle with you. And other times, he's going to just sit there and wait for you. But this is the thing. He'll never leave you. He'll never leave you. You are, if you imagine, Jesus is the planet. And we are in orbit with Jesus. And we're constantly in the gravitational field with Jesus. Right? There are times when we're over here. And we're not really feeling like we're really connected to Jesus. But get this. We're still in the gravitational force field of Jesus. He's still connected to us. And then other times we're really close. Hmm, this is great. But we're still in the gravitational field. Some of us are like, punch him in the face. Pin him against the wall. And I'm like, steady on. They're coming back. And they're still in the gravitational force field with Jesus. We have to be the kind of people who can celebrate this all the time. So question four, our final question this morning is this. What is our reformation? 
Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. It's going to be difficult. I'm going to ask you to look up a Bible text and not read it. <gasps> what? Yes. I'll look up John chapter 5, verse 39. Don't read it. We're going to read it in a few minutes, but don't read it yet. John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. And we're going to read it in a few seconds, but I want you to look it up. It's page 987. That's John chapter 5, verse 39. And I don't want you to read it just yet. I just want you to keep it there for a second. Monday, two weeks ago, uh, my church our tribe, held there what they refer to as the annual council meetings. At the end of the seven days, this is when they pull all the leaders of the entire world church together, the surprise paper appeared. This document was a move to centralize power from the people to a small group of leaders. It was uh, technically rejected. And in political terms, it was sent back for reconsideration. And we get all up in arms because we want reformation. That's what we want. And we tweet about it, and we Facebook about it, and we meet about it, and we talk about it, and we print books about it, and we talk about this all the time. We get up in arms. We want reformation. Our church ordains women in some places and not in others. Our office in North America started their meetings yesterday. They're not going to push for women's ordination, by the way. They're going to push for women to be pastors. That's okay. I'm really glad that decades ago, men and women before me decided to make sure that people of all colors and all races could drink water from, together, uh, just not from the same fountain. Actually, no, they didn't. They said they, we could drink it from the same fountain. I got that wrong, right? Hmm. That would be silly to imagine, right? that inequality is to not hear the call of Jesus on the life of a woman and to serve her community as a tribe and a pastor is to be ridiculous. So I say to the North American division, wake up. It's not about being a pastor, it's about allowing them to all serve like everybody else, to all drink from the fountain together. So we all get up in arms. We want reformation. Our country, our countries, United States and the United Kingdom, created uh, a system of voting. Elected leaders took positions, Brexit, made some people really, really upset. Trump, so upset, so upset, that they cannot even worship in the same place together. So upset that they can't even have family and friends come together. So upset that they say venomous, horrible things to each other. This is insane. And we get all up in arms. We want reformation. We want change and we want reformation and we, we attack each other all the time. It's always easy to focus on a system when you want to change something. Isn't it? It's always easy to talk about the General Conference and the North American Division and to talk about England and to talk about America and to talk about government and presidents. It's always easy just to get online and to, to berate somebody else and to talk about some other system that's far, far away. But all these systems are made up of us. The Bible is not simply data. And the Bible is not simply facts. And the Bible is not simply 28 fundamental beliefs. For the Bible 
points to Jesus, full stop, all. John chapter 5, 39 says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. This is what Jesus says. They are pointing to Jesus. Every single word here points to Jesus. We're here not just to celebrate the Reformation. We're here to celebrate our Reformation, what Jesus is doing in us every single day. This is why it's so difficult. So let me invite you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with me, to confess your sins, our sins, to confess and repent of our ways, to call on the name of Jesus and know that he alone is the one who can change us. Because when Jesus changes us, everything else changes. This is our Reformation. It's very easy to pot and point at everything else. But God is saying, look at yourselves. <laughs> look at yourselves. I'm going to invite us to celebrate communion today. And I know it's not your typical message for communion. Usually communion, everybody is like weeping and everybody's like thinking about themselves and thinking about deep thoughts and this kind of stuff. I decided to actually go this way here. And the reason I decided to go this way here because I thought... I actually, I need you as a congregation to understand something deep about what communion really is all about. I'm going to invite Doris to come and join us up here. I need you to understand something deep about communion because underneath here we have bread and juice. And this bread and juice here represents so much more. It represents Jesus Christ saying that we are part of who Jesus is. Now to be part of Jesus, my friends, to be part of Jesus means that we have to be different types of people. To be different types of people means that we, we have to actually learn how to accept each other. To accept each other means that we have to be people who actually agree that we have different opinions about how things operate. And this is what this church should be. It should be a place where everybody's welcome in this church. That's what this church should be. This place should be a place where everybody gets to celebrate that everybody's welcome in the kingdom of God. And the only thing that brings us together is Jesus. And in Jesus, we will discover through the Word of God the things that we individually need to wrestle with. And every single one of us has something to wrestle with. So I'm going to ask Elia uh, and the whole worship team to lead us through some songs. Uh, we're going to sing these songs. Doris and I are going to remove the cloth here. We're going to place it on the side. We're then going to take the first trays and we're going to walk down to serve you. And our deacons, Clark and uh, Russell, are going to usher you row by row. And I'm going to invite you to come forward and as you come forward, you take a piece of the bread and the juice, and you go back to your seat and sit down, continue singing the songs, spend time in prayer, spend time in reflection with God. Talk to God about your reformation. It's the hardest thing I'm asking you to do today. This is way harder than anything else. Don't think about the church or life or politics or everything else. Think about you and God. That's what I'm asking you to do. Think about the things that you need to resolve. Ask God to forgive the sins in your life. Ask God to reset your clock. That's what we celebrate today, our Reformation.